contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. Everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. And every now and again, I think we have to go over what this podcast is about because there are new listeners coming in every now and again, and maybe this is a couple people's first episode. So let's kind of introduce what this podcast is. It is a live Pearl Jam podcast where we talk about the history of what they've done on the big stage. Some of the most impactful moments, some of the big memories, some of your stories. We've told a lot of them over the past couple of years. That is all we focus on here, Strictly Live, and we do a different show every single episode. And this episode, what we're going to do is, if you remember from a couple of months ago, we were kind of locked in and zoned in on the 2003 first leg of North America, and now we're going to be really zoned in on the second leg of the North American tour from 2003, because it's a 20th anniversary, and they need to be celebrated. So in this episode, kind of kills a couple birds with a couple stones here, because yes, we are covering for 2003, but also we're doing Dallas. And the band will be in Dallas, if you want to say more Fort Worth, but it's the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They'll be there in September. So we're giving it a little bit of a highlight here before a lot of you will, including I, will go and see them down in Texas in a couple months. So with all that being said, it should be fun. 2003 is a great year. So Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hey, what do you think about getting back to this year? Love it. Love it. 
I do want to point out, you know, there there is a song that gets played at the show that is, I believe, the sole reason that you're going to those Dallas Fort Worth. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. That's yeah, a storyline no. to look for in September. Yeah, and it's a song that always gets played when they're down there. It's very obvious, knowing who I am, that I'm going for Jeremy, man. I mean, the story and all the history that comes from that song, you'd be an idiot not to go down there and be like, when's Jeremy now. coming? When's Jeremy coming? Because that's that's the song. That's the Dallas song, right? See, now we're going to get letters from uh, from from the Jeremy people. Uh, that that was a Texas thing, too, right? That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what, exactly that why they have played this every single time in Dallas that they've been there since 1992. No, we're going to get letters from the Jeremy people. John is just going to make up email addresses <laughs> saying Jeremy Lover 69 or something that's like a, that. Yeah, that's an old Letterman bit. He's like, oh, we're going to get letters. And yeah. uh, Letterman has an official YouTube channel now, which I'm very excited about. I've been on a kick on that lately. All right. Well, hey, maybe soon we'll get to do the next episode in the TV series. The late oh, yeah, night I, just, series. I just want that full leaving here. I'm holding that hope. <laughs> Well, if anybody were to have gotten it, it would have been you. Right. So I think it's probably dead in the water. All right. Why don't we get into the show that we're kind of talking about here? Again, it's Dallas 2003. They start the tour over in California. They do some really good California shows, one in Mountain View, a couple in Irvine. And they kind of just move across the country into this area that, for the most part, Pearl Jam has never really returned to. Arkansas, Alabama, even if you go into the Midwest, the the northern part of the Midwest, Council Bluffs, Iowa, and Fargo, which we talked about a long time ago, like they are kind of going into this territory that it's going to be one and done. But Dallas isn't that. Dallas they have returned to and will return to. So, yeah, what do you think of when you think about like Pearl Jam and their relationship with Texas? Because Texas isn't really one that comes up with the obvious ones like Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, Seattle kind of deal. What's your like connection from Pearl Jam to Texas? Whenever I think of it, honestly, I go back. It's Aberthes, like going back to yeah. okay. trees and like the really, really early stuff. How about you? Probably Jeremy. No, uh, <laughs> I think it's kind of like Austin City Limits, maybe. And it has kind of a connection to me with something that we talked about last week with the Ben Harper version of Red Mosquito, because that was kind of the one that was on everybody's forefront when they did the, the TV version of Austin City, City Limits, where he did that and you mm-hmm. have the visual of the whole thing. So I think... That kind of is my connection to Texas. I'm going to put a dumb one out there. One of my favorite posters of all time is the Dallas 1998 one. It reminds me of summer and like, you know, especially summer as a kid in 1998, I was 12. So kind of brings back the images of like the slushies and the ice blocks in the background and the way that there's frost on the top of the lettering for Pearl Jam. Like it's just kind of nostalgic to me. So I do have that connection with Texas and Pearl Jam, believe it or not. So Dave A is obviously a great one too. I think that would be the most obvious one, but yeah. And then maybe a song that we're going to talk about in this episode too. You know, since this is our first one 
in this little section. And, and yes, we are getting to the big stuff. We are getting to the Mansfield shows. They're coming in a matter of weeks, actually. You know, I know a lot of you are anticipating that. So hang on to that. All three are coming straight shot all back to back to back. But this leg almost feels like it is up there with maybe some of the best material that they've done live in their history. And I think a lot of people hold a very, very high opinion of it. And I think a lot of people kind of see this, what they've done at the end of the tour here, as kind of being the Pearl Jam that's most memorable to them. Yeah, I mean, you, you always go back to that two weeks in 1994 is like the most eventful kind of the the peak of that era of the band and you could say different parts in 1993 and 1995 whatever but as you get into the 2000s it's hard to argue against this month or two month run i mean like you said they had been on the road this is you're getting into the second leg here so they've had a whole leg under them to kind of work out these songs they were bringing some stuff back to the set list. So the set list were getting a little more varied, which people always cite as a, as a big reason that they follow the band. And yeah, they were just a force to be reckoned with. I mean, you add that to all the political stuff going on and the Iraq war stuff going on that adds a little bit of tension and kind of fury to these shows. And yeah, I mean, it all kind of clicked together to make it a really eventful two months. Yeah, I, I think what attaches to that, too, is that when you think about the 90s and you think about them playing live, there is so much that we didn't see while it was happening. We were supposed to get a Vitalogy documentary that is the, the taboo video that we've talked about before, where we have would have seen lots of footage from Australian shows and Japan shows back in 1995, and we didn't get that. We didn't really get much of any concert footage that was official from the band until Touring Band 2000, so we were starting at this point, even going back to then, to like actually seeing them, and official bootlegs obviously have a little bit to do with this too, but people that weren't getting the chance to go see them live are now able to go and pick up the Showbox show and go watch what they can do at the Showbox show. And then, I mean, I will always go back to the Garden DVD being a heavy, heavy influence on my fandom that I wore that movie out. I watched it nearly every day for like two years before I saw them live because I loved it so much. And that magic that they were putting on stage, I, I bought into it. And I think a lot more people in this era are starting to get what Pearl Jam does. And I think that even after this and during this, the hype for a lot more people wanting to see them just kind of skyrockets. Yeah, I mean, we talked to a lot of people, you know, myself included, who kind of saw them for the first time in 1998, 1996. But there's a big portion of the fan base, I think, that got started around this era. You know, people around your age, you know, mid-30s, late-30s, who were, you know, kind of 17, 18 years old around this time. And this was the first time they saw them, which was a very good time to get into it, I think. That sticks with it, too. Like, you had a lot of people who missed all the drama from the 90s, missed the Ticketmaster thing, 
and are seeing this band at their peak. It kind of rejuvenated them, you know, because 2003, how many times have we talked about it? Pearl Jam's not getting played off the radio in 2003. If they are, it's all the stuff from 10. And, like, they were turning into almost, like, you know, what you consider, like, a legacy band would be. Like, oh, they're still around them? Okay. Little did they know that they still had at least 20 more years to go. But a lot of that is part of it, too, is they dug into their fan base and were making these new fans word had spread around that like like you said from these dvds like you mentioned watching that dvd every day word was starting to get around the like hey pearl jam's still around and they're pretty good live you know people are starting to follow them around like i said you're starting to get a little more setless variation they're starting to break out some of those rare songs so i think it was all that stuff kind of together that made this a really like you said landmark tour for them and it would just go on and on i mean you'd, you'd go into 2004 and everything that went on with vote for change and then 2005 that run across canada which is just iconic and then all those shows in 2006 like this little run here kickstarted that whole thing all right why don't we direct into this we asked the question of the week this week now there's going to be a moment in this show where we get a version of Daughter, and there's going to be something really, really funny that happens in that version of Daughter that we'll talk about, and I might have played that in the intro. Who knows? But there's also a little tag on the end of Daughter that, that we'd never heard before, and we hadn't heard ever again after. Now, in Pearl Jam lore, that is called an OTOTO, one time, one time only. Most of you probably know that. and. It's of the girl, which is just so totally random that you wouldn't think of it ever sort of being placed at the end of Daughter. And and it's not totally rare, especially from last year. We got In My Tree as a tag last year. We got a trio of versus songs within, of course, WMA being one of them. We also got a leash and we got glorified G tag at the end of Daughter as well. I believe that's a Zurich show from last year. That's a very, very cool, fun moment. And, you know, it just got me to thinking a little bit, like, what else could work? What else could work in this scenario? I'm thinking just, like, lyrically and how the band kind of brings in that back-end groove off of Daughter. What's all going to work off of that? So we asked, what song would you like to hear as a tag off of Daughter that they've never done before? Yeah, I want to start with one that's technically it's been done, but I, I do want to give a shout out to Shane Carlson, who I think was trying just to play me a little bit. He says, would love to hear a Fugazi suggestion tag off of Daughter like they used to do back in the mid 90s. Well, Shane, you're almost correct. They only did it one time. Think of all the suggestions that have been done. It was normally, you know, on a Y Go or something like that, or just by itself almost. They've only done it off Daughter once. I would love to see that as well. But you get props for mentioning Fugazi on the show and make that a note for people in the future. But I do want to mention one that we had Dakota Duval who said, I would like to hear the ending the dissonant thrown in once with some of the live changes. Like Escape is Never, slash Always the Safest Path. Sometimes you just got to get the fuck out of there. He says it would fit the song well. Which means um, he listened to last well. week's episode. Right. Hey, good for him. But yeah, I mean, like, Dissonance is a tough one because, like, it's from the same record. And, like, never and, stopped them before, though. I know, but it seems like they played Dissonant a lot. You, if you think of something on a daughter tag, you think of something that's, like, not getting played very often, that's getting, like, kind of a treat or something. But uh, it could work. I want to read the one from Aaron here, Aaron Redman, and he suggests that maybe this is the time to utilize comes then goes. What do you think about that? I, I'm, I'm unsure. I'm really unsure. That seems like a very sensitive subject, and we don't even know, but 
considering that's the only gigaton song that has been played, which feels mm-hmm. like, you know, they usually every single year, they will play at least one version of all the songs from the record. It feels like that's a little bit of a, a sensitive subject. See, I don't know if it's because it's sacred. I mean, they put it on the record. And if you remember, we had heard from Stone that like they had rehearsed all the songs and they were ready to play all the songs from the record. I think Comes Then Goes hasn't been played. I don't think it's due to it being like sensitive or being hard to get through. I just think it's like too wordy and he can't get through it. I think he would have to like use a lyric sheet or something. I don't think he wants to do that. And I think that's probably more why they haven't done it. It could work, but I think they would have to play it in full first. I agree with that. I think you need to hear it in full. I also would give Eddie the benefit of the doubt if he wanted to use his notebook for that one and using a music stand right in front of him. I'm not going to knock him for that. Like he might have a tough time getting through it. Who knows? But if he's just doing that acoustically, like in a preset or, you know, in the top five or something like that. Yeah. I'd like if you need the lyrics, grab the lyrics to those. He was looking down at lyrics for Never Destination and some of those songs very, very early on last year in the Gigaton tour. So, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. He also suggests Force of Nature. He thinks it's a good lyric for Ed to transform into one of the ethereal, spacey, improvised alternative takes. And then kind of mentions the the lyrics, one man stands the edge of the ocean, a beacon on dry land, eyes above the horizon in the dark before the dawn. I I look at those lyrics and it's like not lyrics I think about a whole lot. I'm kind of so-so on the song. I, I don't mind it at all, but I don't really, I haven't listened to it in a very long time. And I see those lyrics and I'm like, okay, if Ed's singing it in the same form as the actual daughter tag, then I think it could work because you think like the tag's a little bit dark and that kind of seems like there's a little bit of darkness to it. Yeah, I like that. That's another song that, yeah, I never think about. If they're going to do it, it seems like that would be the way, kind of like In My Tree was last year, like they didn't have time to do it or you knew they weren't going to do it. So put it in a tag and give people a chance to hear it. But we'll just have to see. I got another one from Derek Laub that kind of fits that theme as well speaking of like a moodier song he says in the moonlight has lyrics that would go very well as a daughter tag any part of the verse scores would work but the under the darkened ceiling verse would be great yeah i wonder how many people would pick up on that too because that's not a song that lyrically Mm -hmm. i'm that attached to i know the nightbird is following you i can pick that line out but yeah that one might kind of go over some people's heads at least in the moment so I kind of like that for the people that are paying attention. We also got, and you know, people just kind of mentioning songs here. Jerry Rushing mentions Footsteps would be a good one. Sheehan Pereira says All Right would work well. The verses, I think All Right's a good one for that. I, I like that one a lot because it's kind of the same thing. It's got a little bit of the kind of the mysterious darkness to it when you think of those ending grooves off a daughter. Give it some time. That one, like if it doesn't come back, in full then i could see it but give it some time yeah what are you high on for this i like the footsteps one a lot i think that would be super cool another kind of moodier song that would work really well i'm just gonna glom on to ben boys claire here who posted how much difference does it make from indifference i think that would be super cool especially if you're not getting it obviously you're not going to get it at the end of the show if they're going to tag it but if it's a night where it's you know like oh this is going to be a lead better night or this is going to be a rocket in the free world night or whatever give it a little bit of indifference tag on daughter i think that would be great 
I'd argue that it would be even better if they tagged it here and then played it later. I'm down for that. I like that idea because it's kind of a little little bit of a teaser that you heard it and then it might be kind of in the forefront of fans' minds like, oh, are they actually going to play the song? And because it's kind of a special thing, I, you know, I, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. And to a lot of these, like, Force of Nature is not going to be a sing-along. In the Moonlight is not going to be a sing-along. But he could do that part of Indifference as a sing-along. It could be a really special moment. I can see that. There are two that I'm pretty high on. The one that I'm highest on is Garden. I love the direction of the eye. So misleading. Those lines, like, I just questioned my modern needs. Like, I feel like that has that same sort of edge to it. Like, Garden is a very mysterious song, a very kind of tense and edgy song. I think it works in the same sort of landscape of what the daughter tag is. And then the other one, I think hard to imagine would actually work there too. All right. Now we got a show on our hands here to get to. So we kind of buried a lead a little bit. We probably should have mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the opener is going to shock a lot of people. Now we had this conversation. We did the Newcastle show late last year. So it's, it's still pretty fresh. It was like probably six months ago. And the moment when they took the stage and played a live listening to that show, it felt massive. It felt important. It felt like you were getting a once in a lifetime experience. However, that wasn't the first time that they had done it. They had done it on this night. the same kind of conversation that we had back then like the entire landscape of the set changes expectations are blown out of proportions and that goes for other songs too when it's like even flow or or something else that's just completely random that they come out with and you're like oh yeah wasn't expecting that at all and then you think for later okay now what's going to happen when they're supposed to play a live in the closing role later and you're kind of anticipating like all right well maybe we'll get something different something kind of cool but what's interesting to me is that we talked about this song a lot last month when we did the first leg and we talked about how it was sort of returning to form but a little bit slower like they weren't exactly back to it being the party mode song so it's interesting to see here that they decide to put it in a spot where they need it to be big and almost needed to be bigger than where it's usually supposed to be. 
Yeah, and this is the first time it's opened a real Pearl Jam show, too, after 13 years. This is the night that they decide to do it. I mean, you can see, like, obviously you're going to get the crowd reaction. Everybody kind of goes, whoa, okay. And even you get, Ed kind of does a little thing like, all right, yeah, we're doing it. And you can tell that, like, they get that rush from, like, just the novelty of it, like, just by mixing it up, you know. I'm not going to say it alive, it becomes stale, but they had gotten used to playing it in a certain part of the set in a certain way and I think this is well I have a theory about this that I'm going to get to we're going to get to after the next song I'm going to let you have your moment with the next one and then I'm going to posit a theory but try to put yourself in this crowd and they come out with a live and just like in 2003 like oh my god like what is happening yeah I would be hooked from the instant yeah it just gets everybody going immediately yeah you know i think you got to compare the two and how they sort of set the tone for the show and it's really hard not to say that the newcastle show felt like a bigger moment than this because what's gonna follow you're gonna get songs like undone played that night i don't have the set list in front of me but they played like all fan favorites it was a show that was curated by mark richards and he picked the whole entire set so he had his fandom in mind when doing it and for this, it's not that like, okay, the whole entire set has to be rare or anything like that, but I think what happens with this version is that it becomes more of a footnote in Pearl Jam history instead of it feeling like a big, massive moment, and that's mainly in comparison to the other one. What I remember loving about that version was the fact that Ed said, I'm ready to play for you. And just that little line change just changed everything about what that performance was. Like the Love Boat Captain, the Let the Show Begin, like it ties everything together and it makes you feel like you're a part of it. And they don't do it here. I can't fault them for any of that, of course, but it is tough because when you are doing this as an opener too, both times that they did it, it becomes sort of a truncated version. You can't go off and do the nine minute solo or seven minute solo whatever it is you can't fully have that in your arsenal you kind of have to keep momentum and go into the next thing and and yeah there's there's no tambourines anything like that right yeah yeah john correct me if i'm wrong i don't think there was even any hay chance yeah i don't think so yeah to me this feels in comparison to the other one a little bit more of a footnote that okay alive opened the show but how many people remember this version specifically i don't know the answer to that you guys can correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like the newcastle one had a little bit more of a statement to it so this one walked so newcastle could fly that's fair i like that idea yeah, yeah. now Brandon J is going to set you up for flying throughout the next five songs because they're all going to be pretty much barn burners here. To me, it's the best part of the set, getting the first six. I always like the punk rock stuff. And and really, you know, I, I can't believe I didn't think about it this till now, but I randomly wrote this when I was taking my notes. I call this the rally section. You're starting a rally early. You're doing these back to back to back to back, and you're really heating up your crowd, and that's how you're firing people. Out. Like I would like to call that the rally section from now on, instead of the punk rock section. What do you are Are you okay with that? Can you handle that change? Or oh, I don't do. Do I have to wear my hat inside out? Um. Yes. Okay. Yes, that is then very I'm, required, and you board. have to take pictures and put social media. Yeah. Yeah, but it can't be a brave <laughs> hat. That's the only thing. Can't oh, be. Oh, well, then, then I'm out. Then I'm out. <laughs> 
I mean, this combination of alive into Brain of Che cool. is just kind of mind blowing just thinking about it. And yeah, like a little background, I'm telling a lot of personal stories today, I suppose. It's, I guess it's time to do it. But Brain of Jay has been a very special song to me. And out of almost 30 shows, I haven't seen it live yet. So yes, the reason why I am going down to Dallas is because I would like to hear this song before the band packs it up. And it just so happened to work out that my wife wanted to go down to Dallas, so we made it work out. And looking at the numbers here for Brain and Jay, they played it every single time that they've been in Dallas since the song debuted. So those are very, very good odds. You know, you're coming out of a shock moment to a hard pounding, ripping, and it must feel pretty electric going on in that crowd to really kind of start going and revving you up, you know? Great performance and really sets you up for what the next four songs are going to be too. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so are you ready for this? So I'm going through this. You look at the first two songs here, Alive and Brain of Jay. We've got Corduroy a few songs later. We've got Daughter a few songs later than that. Even Flows at the end of the set here. I think that, and if, if you look at it, you got early on the set, we've got Half Full H, Go G, Green, Green Disease G, I Am Mine I. And then in the middle of the set, you've got Of The Girl O, Nothing Man In, Jeremy J, I Got Shit I. I think he tried to do alphabetical here. I don't think he pulled it off, and I think he aborted it and went, no, I'm just going to move a couple of things around. But this has the looks of a set that could have been alphabetical. Yeah, you got to move Corduroy to being behind Brana J. And then what do you got with D? Like, down doesn't really fit there. Daughter's right there. Daughter's right there. They did it Daughter, in the Yeah, but like, Daughter doesn't fit after corduroy if you want to go in that direction i think he was right not to do it don't get me wrong but i think that maybe sitting backstage maybe a couple hours from the show he started writing this down i was like maybe let me see if i can figure out how to go alphabetical with this thing and then he didn't change some things around because of what you're saying but i'm saying i think this in its infancy in its pure form i think this was maybe supposed to have been an alphabetical set I don't know if I buy, but I will add this, that I think that Corduroy could have gone into Dissident, which could have gone into Even Flow, if you're going to do it somehow. Does that yeah, make sense? You do it, I think you could do it until, I think, you what, you get to K, and then you have to start doing covers, maybe. Um, know your rights. Know your right, yeah. Work perfectly kick, for the Kick time. out the jams, yeah. But I think he tried it and gave up on it. You still get a little bit of the remnants. I think some of the stuff is still where it would have been. Well... I wasn't expecting that, but hey, theories come up now and again. I've, I've posted some crazy ones too. So, I, hey, we're going to get a lot of letters about this. So if you want to write in about John's crazy theory, then, you Please know, do. send it where it's supposed to go. All right. Half full might be the highlight of this entire show. It being the third song is weird enough as it is, but like Mike firing out of a cannon immediately once this song runs and having like three really distinctive big moments in this I was taken aback it felt unreal listening to this and Half Full is not one of those songs I consider to be like a big time favorite off a riot act for me I like the song and I like what Mike does off of it but boy this one kicked you in the ass this one was very very good yeah, I agree. I think Mike at the end is the highlight. I don't, I don't know if I'll go as far as to say it's the highlight of the show, but 
it feels like every time we talk about Half Full, we talk about a great version. Like it feels like it could have become something more than it has. It's only been played, I'm looking at Live Footsteps, it's only been played 77 times. It feels like it could easily have been doubled that, if not close to triple. I mean, this song feels like they could do this more. I don't think I remember hearing a bad version of it. It's a highlight song, and it specifically is focusing on one band member. And I guess it's just because Mike gets a lot of those that Evenflow is a guarantee. Immortality comes here again. Go where he has big solo. Porch, that's every night. So I think it's just kind of like sort of spreading the wealth a little bit. Yeah, I don't know why. My guess is that you kind of dictate what the fans are taking out of it and maybe they felt like the fans were going crazy over other mic stuff i don't know i don't know yeah it should have been played more often let's because i really like this version i wanted our gear guru to listen to this and give us his take on it so this is going to be javier's first of a few moments from this show where he's going to share his take and, and talk about the guitars and all that so javier loves mike let him take it away. Dallas 2003 for this version of Half Full. I think that this song, and this version specifically, captures what is the sound of Pearl Jam in a nutshell. Includes every single element that they can include in a song. One guitar and drop D, one guitar with higher output pickups like a Gibson Les Paul, one guitar using a lower output for pickups like a Fender Stratocaster, and that classic Mac rhythm that is gonna give you a lot of pace, but at the same time, it's not gonna be overwhelming the song or it's not gonna be very fast. It's a great version to listen to. I was blown away by the show. I think it's a 10 out of 10 for me. The combination in between the set, the combination in between like how everybody is so locked down, like the execution and the performances is absolutely outstanding. It's bluesy, it's muddy, you can hear a lot of the fun stuff that Mike does in the guitar, including those like super bluesy licks, but at the same time, he can make pentatonic scales go very, very fast in a stone and just in the back, giving that pace that the song needs, but at the same time, allowing it just to have a little bit of space right before the end part. This combo, this Strat and Les Paul combo is kind of like the majority of the times that the way that they're going to play it sometimes you will find that specifically in the store they did both guitars more based on a higher output pickup like a les paul or a flying b but if you ever want to think about what is a pro jam sound in a nutshell i think this is it that combination in between that strat and that les paul all right thank you javier we're gonna get back to you in like a second or two so hang on hang on hang on Go, Corduroy Green Disease. We're dipping back into the rally. More energetic. No stoppage. Cameron, Mike, nailed go. Mike had a lot of good momentum. And four of the first five songs 
are some of his most identifiable solos. Like, that's pretty incredible. And then Breda J has that attachment to him, too, where he wrote the song and has a lot of very notable licks that he does in it. This is his era, and this is his show. You'll see later, he's going to have a lot more moments where he'll come in, and, and there's going to be a little bit of a break where you won't get a lot of Mike moments, but it is going to show itself back up. Like I said, Go is just explosive. Corduroy, Mike, again, taking control in this. This is what he does in this era. This is what he does all time, but it felt like in this era is where he owned it all, and he said, I will take the stage and I'll be the big rock star during my moments. It feels like we haven't talked about going forever. When this came on, I was like, oh yeah, here we go. Like It sounded very fresh and it didn't hurt that the version is very, very good and very, very fast. But yeah, Go was definitely a highlight. I thought Green Disease too. listening to Jeff on Green Disease, he was doing like some really fast runs, some stuff going all up and down the fretboard. Very, very impressive. Yeah, Green Disease and Go, I thought, were very good up front here. I was very impressed by the chemistry on Green Disease. I thought that that was really, really fun. Just everybody going at it together. I think from kind of the chemistry standpoint, I think that's where Javier is going to come back in again to talk about how the three guitar attack works here and how everything sort of blended in and kind of made that sound and put the band in a really good spot to have some success with it. So let's go back to them. magnificent interpretations i think green disease is one of them it's kind of like a weird combo when they use two guitars like two less balls and it is running a p90 in the back but i think it adds a lot to their tone and especially in a song that has so many open chords but then you get to the power chords right on the chorus i think it's fun to listen to i think it adds something different to their sound it's not very common to find that combination specifically because it's at the one running the song the majority of the time like playing those open licks and then the other members of the band just following and tagging along with that another interesting aspect that in some versions of this song live jeff will run something like a little chorus on his face especially in the part of the intro which makes it a little more spacey bright like sounds a little bit like the cure but I think it's a really good thing to mention. It's a great version, outstanding version. Weird to listen to or to kind of like to picture in your head because it's not something that they do on a common basis. But for this tour, that was the main axe that Ed was using, Gibson SG with P90s, and, and added a lot to their tone. And I think it added a bigger palette to what you can consider what is the Pearl Jam sound if you look back or if you compare it with 2022. All right, thank you, sir. We'll go back to you again and get you in for another song later in the set. But good Take stuff. Take a break for a while, though. Have, have a seat. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Save your voice. Save your voice. We'll, we'll call you from backstage to get you back on stage. It says, good evening, Dallas. How you doing? And hello to North Dallas in the back. This is our last stop in Texas for quite a while. Glad you all can make it. The next string of three songs are I Am Mine, Daughter, and Nothing Man. They all have little interesting parts to it. I think Daughter's definitely going to be the one that we talk about a little bit more than the others. But I Am Mine had this little scale run going on in the intro. And it didn't really quite flow with what the song was. But I don't see it much more than just Ed just sort of messing around and trying something. Because it's obviously not really a tag. Like, nobody knows what this is. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe like the intro from Immortality or something. Just maybe feeling a little bit inspired from his green disease guitar playing. Like, hey, I'm going to have to throw some stuff in here, too. I am mind that there's that little instrumental part before the last chorus. We've talked about it before in some versions where you get that surgery all pushy, and you're like, you're leading up to that chorus, and it's going to go into solo, and you're like, yes, here we go. Like, this is going to be the one to let loose. Like, this is going to be the epic version that we've waited for. And then it gets to that, and it's very good, but it reaches that peak in the middle, and then it just holds it there. It doesn't keep going. So that was I am mind for me. It says the same old story. But yeah, this is really about daughter right here. Yep, absolutely. And there are two great moments in this. There is the first moment where Ed is trying to do this cheerleader call to spell out Dallas a little. Give me an A, give me an L. And I say A first because that's what happens. He spells Dallas completely wrong and puts the D at the end of the word. Do you think he got mixed up or did he do that on purpose for the joke? I don't know. I was going to kind of make a joke that he didn't graduate high school, but he's an, an intelligent guy. I think he just got caught up in the moment. Yeah. That's going to be my guess on this because yeah. it's it's so funny. He does the whole thing. Give me an L. Give me an S. Give me a D. What's that spell? I can't fucking spell. Like It was just hilarious the way that he kind of recognized that as he's doing the whole thing. He's trying to build up a big moment, which never done anything like this before that's not really his i guess pandering style but he tried something out and you know it backfired on him in a pretty hilarious and notable way so i love that 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 was very cool it made for a very fun moment i thought at first you know he writes the word all and i thought he was going to do some kind of political statement with that or something because he's doing it pretty emphatically you know he's like give me an a give me an l like it really felt like he was gonna spell the word like all for one or something like that and then go into a big diatribe off of something yeah he probably should have he probably should have caught himself halfway through and and changed it up but instrumentally too i thought even you know before that part daughter has a really interesting jam it sounds different than the norm play it is a little more angular a little weirder than just that kind of soft intro to the jam that they normally do i thought that was interesting do you think any of that had to do with the appearance of the of the girl lyrics could be or was that just kind of coincidental could be maybe he was in that kind of mood maybe some heard something and uh, triggered the of the girl lyric in him
guess that probably 75% of the time that they go out and do daughter that he doesn't know what he's going to do with the tech. That's I think fair. sometimes yeah. he knows that he's going to do either it's okay or WMA because those are obviously the big ones, but I think most times he's going to go out there and especially in like 1996 through 2000, like those are the most random tag years where he'll go out and do like Stereo Lab or The Wrong Child REM song. And it's just feels like songs he was just listening to on the bus that day or something like that. Yeah, it just felt really unexpected and it kind of goes along with what the jam and sort of the mystery of the daughter tag and how that groove kind of develops. I like this and it's the only time we're ever going to talk about it unless it has yeah. a big breakout next year. You know, I'm surprised they haven't gone back to it. I know, you know, some of the things have kind of become established and, you know, they go back to, but... I could have seen this coming back. I mean, it's it's something they don't play that often, so give it a chance once in a while. My guess is that Ed forgot he ever did it. Right. That's just going to be my guess. All right, let's move on to the other Texas song in this show, and that would be the aforementioned Jeremy that I've claimed as being the reason that we're going down to Texas, but no. Well, you're going you're gonna to get it at both shows, and you're not getting Brenda J now. I know that. <laughs> I know that. That's all right. Man can hope. But it's funny here because uh, Ed asked for a little help from the crowd on this. And then when you hear the intro, he slowly says the name Jeremy Wade Dell. Did you catch that? No. Yeah. He says it's Jeremy true. Wade Dell in this. And he lived in the Dallas area, if I'm not, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Every single time that Jeremy and Brandon J have been played after they debuted, they've been played every time in Dallas. I believe Jeremy is eight times and Brandon J is four. So that's that's pretty good right there. Now, this version of Jeremy had a very interesting pace on it that you don't usually get out of this. And it becomes a great crowd participation moment and a big outburst that Ed has at the end. But I'll focus on the pacing here. And somebody else that agreed with me was, well, we're back. It's Javier. Let's get the Gear Guru opinion. single detail on every single song for example this version of jeremy is a little slower than what we're used to but honestly a song that is always going to be in the key of a and it doesn't have major changes the guitars are kind of playing with the same clicks with the same notes it's very very refreshing to hear it that they're going to play it slower like i said before i feel that you allow the song to breathe a little bit more and also it's kind of fun to hear that you can hear every single detail of every single part of every single player. It also, if you notice at the end, it's very cool to hear Jeff's bass, how basically it was just all the trouble was removed and it made it with a lot of dynamics, but it's a little kind of like a muted sound, which was the idea for this tour. 
with the EQ related with the other guitars, the majority of the time just driving Fender bass amps. So you can have that more dynamic tone, less presence, less mids, and removing the trebles a little bit. I think it's an excellent version. I think it's so fun just to grab your headphones and then just listen to it. Listen to every single detail, every single part, every single arpeggio and lick that is being played in the song. Uh, awesome version, but I thought that I would like to mention this since it's kind of weird to hear that it's a little slower than usual and especially because the pace and the dynamics of the song change a little bit. I think it makes it a little bit more interesting to hear when you're listening to this live performance. All right, thanks again. Who knows if we'll see him again later in the show, maybe. But yeah, we got to take a break from talking too sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's good to have him as our fifth leg. We really appreciate what he does. All right, Ed says, we've been to San Antonio, we've been to Houston, and he's playing some like beautiful sounding chords behind him. It sounds like it could be either, you know, they're going to go and I, I got shit. So like maybe something inspired by Neil Young, but it also sounds like it could be one of those who songs that are a little bit more lighter and, and less distorted kind of deal. Yeah. See, I thought uh, untitled. I heard it. And I was like, Oh, it's going to be untitled, but then, yeah, I can see that. that that's cut from the same cloth for sure. Yeah. So he says here, Houston has the president which that will be the only mention made of the president at this show. San Antonio has the basketball team. You guys got the voices. If there was American Idol in Texas, you'd win, is what I'm saying. Speaking of contests, we have one tonight. Underneath someone's seat, sorry, we couldn't get to you in the back. It's just the expensive seats up front. There's an envelope under one of your chairs, and it's going to say the letters WMD. Do you know what that means? Well, after the show, if you look inside the envelope, there will be two backstage passes, and at the encore, you can come backstage and see us play. And we're calling it the WMD contest because tonight we're going to tear Dallas up. We're going to go raging, and we want to invite two of you to go out with us. Good luck, and if you don't have that, that means you got shit so you can relate to this next song. So it's funny how that he kind of like dodged the whole like kind of insulting the president and there's no Bush leaguer at the show or anything like that. And it's probably more cautious because of what happened in Nassau Coliseum that they don't want to ruffle the feathers as much, especially in, yeah. in the home state. Yeah. But I mean, give the man credit for the setup on this thing. He is. Oh, it's perfect. He is laying it on thick on setting this thing up and he's going to punch it through later. And like, I almost prefer this more subversive way to go around it because the payoff at the end is like, oh, okay. Yeah, there, yeah. There's some people from you get, according to Five Horizons, like not everybody gets it. But you can tell. Yeah. This is premeditated murder on this crowd. <laughs> well, that comes at the end of the set a little bit, but if you want to fast forward to get to that, feel free. We got I Got Shit, Blood, Dissident All Here. I think we can kind of get into sort of what is a little bit weird about the end of the set, the last five songs and having blood in a spot where it's just kind of floating. It isn't going to be fired up and be your closer and be like this big mic swinging moment or anything like that. 
Like you have to follow it up and you have to play a bunch more songs after it, which is not very common for this and wasn't very common for it in 1993, 1994, 1995, where it was at its best. And I think we've talked about it in 2003 and one of the shows that we did a couple weeks ago, but blood in the mid set, it's just not its identity. And the way that you follow it up too, because you think, okay, if you're following up blood, then you really have to make a statement with your next song and you're following up blood with dissident, which is like a little bit more lighter. It's a little bit more soaring and you really kind of go off the rails a little bit. And it's interesting because in between Jeremy and I got shit was supposed to be habit which would have been cool to see Habit into I Got Shit. I think that's a really good combo. It fits, but fits in with my alphabetical theory that J.H. and I write together. I suppose. I suppose. They had, but they had I earlier, too. They I had know, I and I. Like, I'm, just, I'm been throwing darts at walls here, man. I'm trying to, trying to, trying to yeah, bring it home. A little bit. But, you know, the, 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 the theories are fun. But, like, again, it seemed like they kind of didn't have a direction for where this end of the set was going. And... I just felt like the follow-up to Blood just didn't really kind of fit, you know? Yeah, and I don't think it's a great show-stopping version of Blood either. I mean, it's not 2003 Blood, I think, you know, we talked about it, feels more like they were doing it out of, like, obligation than anything else. Like, we brought it back, we've got to play it. When you're there, obviously you don't care, you're getting blood. It's super cool, but, like, we look at it in hindsight and we're like, yeah, it's not the tightest version. They were still, I think, shaking a little bit of rust off of it, but he's playing up the bit again, too, after Blood. is like, oh, did anybody get it yet? Anybody look at it? Yeah. I, can, I just picture, like, you know, everyone in the first 20, 30 rows like checking under their seats and him just going oh just wait it's coming you do hear after dissident though going back to habit being in between jeremy i got shit you hear jeff actually say careful on those no code songs guys can, do you gotta, think gotta he really didn't like love. the song or is it just in the moment like ah, yeah fuck probably habit. probably just in the moment but your big moment at the end here is you're going to close your set with even flow and it doesn't quite feel like you're building up to that. Like it feels like you get derailed a little bit with blood dissident and then better man and save you kind of bring it back to where it should be. But the last five could have been so much better with what they had in their arsenal. If, if dissident followed up, I got shit. And then if habit followed up dissident and then go better man, save you even flow, you'd say that's a pretty damn good finish to the show. Or I'll even say start with even flow, then dissident, then save you blood, better man. Ooh, blood before better man. You know, blood, it works well as that kind of second to to last song builds up the energy. And then, but this better man too is not, you know, there's no save it for later. Yeah, it's this pretty is straightforward. Not a, an epic better man, but I think if you if you throw one on there, you can use the energy to blood to build off and get to something. I don't know. I, I think maybe I'm I'm more of a traditionalist, and I see like better man into blood being like, okay, you're gaining some steam and energy from the back end of the song, and then you're gonna build that all up, and it's gonna kind of culminate into what blood should be as a closer. But yeah, I don't I don't know if I can see blood better man. I don't know about that. 
But little things on this version of Better Man, I really love the jangly strumming that Stone had. And Mike has a really interesting sounding solo here. It sounded a little bit more like Southern rock or country to me, which it doesn't necessarily not sound like that in some versions of Better Man. Like it's lighter in that way, but yeah, something came off as, as thinking, okay, this is has a little bit more of a country vibe. But, well, in my in my alphabetical theory, song 16 would have been the Q song, so we would have been screwed. Well, you think you can do it now? Get quick escape in there? Maybe. They're probably better off. Yeah. Save you. Bouncy and fun. Mike was intertwining a lot of cool pedal effects during this, and it, it collected a lot of good momentum similar to what they started with. I think that the finish of Save You, Even Flow, went back to the basics of what they were doing before. And would you consider Even Flow being like a, a same kind of surprise opening like a live was? Because maybe since it's not in its spot, maybe people are thinking, no, oh, this is a no Even Flow night. Yeah, we almost never talk about Even Flow closing the main set. Yeah, weird that they kind of bookend like that. That seems like it was definitely done on purpose. Yeah, Even Flow was, again, a really long solo by Mike here. I think trying to capitalize on the fact that it's closing down the main set, but I don't really think it works. Hmm. Interesting. I love the solo. I thought that Mike, you know, when Mike lets those notes soar and he's playing really high on the fretboard and all those notes just are piercing, just loud, electrifying, just like piercing in your ears that makes you kind of stand up and take notice. Like those are some of my favorite, not just even flow solos, but like solos for Mike in general, where he can pull just that one note and just hold it for like 10 seconds and have that just almost like rupture your ear in a way. Like those are some of my favorites. I really like this version of even flow. I like the solo from even flow a lot, whether or not I liked it as the closer. I think it was fine. Could they have done better? Yeah, but it's well-deserved and much needed for this end of the main set, I think. Let's pause for station identification, talk a little bit about some stuff. Last week, we revealed our brand new tour t-shirt, and it got a lot of positive reviews, and it also got some sales pretty early on, so we thank anybody that went out and bought it right away. That was very cool. It was nice to see people on board so quickly. So here's some of the details on it. If you do want one, if you're not on our social medias and you just want to see what the shirt looks like, you can go to liveonfourlegs.com slash 2023 tour 
and you'll get to see the shirt. It's going to be the purchase page. You'll get to see the shirt and it'll kind of explain what style the shirt is and it'll have the sizes on it and it'll tell you kind of the pre-order deal. It is a pre-order. I will mention that now. And we are going to end the store. It's going to be up for a month. So we're going to end the store on the 9th of July. And then after the 9th of July, everything will go into production and it'll go into production for about two weeks. And on probably pretty close to the 1st of August, that's when we'll have everything and be able to pack it and ship it. And there's promise that it will absolutely guarantee be in your hands well before the August 31st show in St. Paul. So I just wanted to make that guarantee for you guys and, and let you know that even though this is a pre-order and it's not going to get in your hands next week kind of deal, you will get it. You will get it before everything goes down. So again, love the shirt. I think it's at a very affordable price for t-shirts nowadays at uh, 25 bucks a piece. We do do international shipping on that. So, and it didn't seem like it was that costly, especially for Canada. Didn't seem too, too bad. So yeah, that is available for you guys. And we really hope that if you, if you buy the shirt that you just come out on tour and wear it out on tour and we can kind of spot you or you can come to any of the events that we're doing and, and we just kind of hang out and see you guys with the shirt. Cause it's, it's a really cool design and it kind of speaks less to us as a podcast and more of what the tour is. What do you think about the shirt? I think it would be great if it had some dates a little more towards the Southeast. I definitely would have jumped on that. Okay. You're not getting a shirt. So <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think I, it was, it was great to see, you know, everybody get excited about it. And I think you're going to see a lot of them on tour. I hope yeah. so. And if it's heading in the same trend that we see here, then yeah, I think we're right on track. And actually, while John might not be getting a shirt, you can get a shirt for free, some of you. And that is through Patreon, because for new people, the first three people that sign up to Patreon, specifically, I'm going to make this for our bonus leg tier for the year. So it's $10 to purchase for the year and get a year subscription. If you go on the yearly subscription under the bonus leg or any tier, the horizon leg is fine. The giga leg, obviously both of those are fine. If you go on any of those legs, we will send the first three people that join up to Patreon. We will send them one of the shirts that we have in our possession right now. We got some samples made up. And the logo is going to be a little bit smaller on these shirts than what the actual logo is going to be. But it's going to be a giveaway and it's going to be free. I'll call it a rare variant. This could be limited edition. Limited edition, guys. Yeah, people will be looking at you out on tour. They'll be like, what do you have? What, what shirt is that? That's weird. So if you want to take advantage of that, again, like everybody paying $25 for a shirt that is on Patreon already, you only have to pay $10, get a whole year of content, and we'll send you a shirt. You don't even have to pay for shipping. We're just going to send it to you. So we have three shirts, two in large and one in extra large. So just keep that in mind. If you are a small person and joining up that it might be a little bit out of your size range, but that is available for the next three brand new patrons or you do this. Now we do have a free trial going on on Patreon. It's a seven day trial. You go under the bonus leg tier and you can just sign up for the seven days and 
if you wanted to go out and check all the episodes that we did, listen to all the evolution episodes, just get the content in your possession and like listening to this content on the regular platform, then you have seven days where you can do that for absolutely free. And then after that, if you want to join up on Patreon, there it is. It's all available for you. So it's just hopefully a sell for you guys to just come in and join and, and know that we're creating the content for the right reasons and for the right people. So to do all that, patreon.com slash live on four legs or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs or go to live on four legs.com after you maybe want to purchase a shirt. If you're going to win in a giveaway, maybe you don't have to do that, but at least go on and, and look at the shirt if you haven't seen it yet. Then you can go and click the become a patron button. And if you sign up for that bonus leg tier for the year or higher, I will send you a free shirt as a thank you. So we only have three. First three, you're in. All right, back to the rock. We're starting off the first encore with Ark. This is the third time that we've covered it in the nine shows that it's happened. And overall, this was the second time that they had played it. So it's interesting because they didn't do it at all in Australia or Japan. They didn't do it at all on the first leg. So they saved it for mainly this stretch of shows. In the course of 10 shows spanning from the 5th of June until the 18th of June, this was played at 6 of the 12 times that they played. It's a bulk of them, so it's on their mind. I wonder, maybe did they come up with it right before they went out on tour and they decided, because you have to think, like, San Diego is their first spot. And their last spot on this little run, at least, is Chicago. So did Ed think he wanted to play it in both of his hometown spots? I think that's a fair thing to say. But I wonder if they had no plan to even play it before this leg even popped up. And then they said, okay, you know what? We do it for the nine times and that's it. Yeah, I think getting into June and having it be that time of year where they start to think about that. And, you know, we, we always see that now when it gets to June, like, oh, you know, we're going to start seeing some things. But I think that definitely had a lot to do with it, getting into this June leg and wanting to have it kind of be on their minds and wanting it to play nine times for the nine victims. And it's interesting because some of the other shows in this little stretch, obviously San Diego and Chicago are pretty big, but you get it here in Dallas, which we don't even have this version. And then some of the other places that we mentioned earlier is kind of being this one-off. You get Little Rock, you get Council Bluffs, Iowa, and then you get Fargo, North Dakota. And that's special for those fans that may have only seen the band a very small handful of times. Maybe it was just there that one time because they don't plan to travel to go see them elsewhere. Maybe getting ARC is kind of their thing to look back to is saying, wow, this was a really special moment. So it's really tough to formulate any other conversation for this when you don't have the version. And I don't think in the three that we've covered, we we've had the version that we had talked about. The San Diego one is, is the one that's readily available, but there are a couple out there not in our possession at the moment, but I'm sure if, if somebody's out there and, and they have it, we'll share with the world. But even if we did have it, we have decided not to play the song on the show out of respect. That's pretty much all I have to say about it at this point. Yeah, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. 
However, I do love the tie-in that Ark and Can't Keep are back-to-back here. I've always kind of seen Can't Keep as sort of a, a reflection of what happened at Roskilde and the two songs, one being at the beginning of the album, one being at the end of the album, kind of almost mirror each other a little bit and they have a connection. And then following Ark, like you're not going to go back into like a big boisterous performance. This was a pretty pensive version and you can't expect to kind of gain momentum and energy. Like you have to sort of build back easier than you normally would on other songs. Yeah, I think you hear when the bootleg kicks back in, you hear it kind of give a really soft, oh, oh, thank you, thank you. But yeah, I thought, yeah, you need something a little more understated, right? You're not going to go big after Ark, so yeah, can't keep as perfect for that. The tone is right there with, with what Ark is doing, and yeah, I think it's a really good choice. Now, while can't keep was a little pensive, State of Love and Trust was absolutely anything but. And this yeah, was a, now you can kick it in. Right. This was an absolutely wild version of State of Love and Trust. It has a memory lapse, and it's in the second chorus. He thinks it's the last chorus. He's holding out that listen. He's holding that out for forever, like he usually does after the bridge. And then after that, once they get out of the bridge, it kind of turns into sort of a freeform version of this. dug it because it was different and it just felt like it all seemed to work even though it was kind of haphazard yeah i mean fine you know stay love and trust when it's good it's very very good this i thought was nearly average which for them is still very good i thought mike had a really nice solo on this i thought he was annihilating it at the end too i think mike was back to having some really big moments in this encore all right Ed is going around introducing the band. The crowd very much just wants to hear from Stone, so they get a big reaction for Stone. Ed says he's been playing a Les Paul all night, Stone has, so let's raise a glass to Les. Not only building guitars, but building machines that we are recording on. He invented all of it. He's 88 years old. Here's to Les Paul. And then when Boom is introduced, there are a few Boom chants, but they would kind of quickly just turn into applause. The Dallas crowd didn't quite have it with Boom just yet, but we were still learning at that point. We were still learning. But Boom says, apparently it was Boom that says it, he says, don't mess with Texas. And then Ed says, yeah, well, don't mess with fucking Boom, all right? In fact, you can't mess with any of us while Boom is close by. And then he gives a shout out to the opener, Idlewild, who are from Scotland. Apparently, their bus had overheated on the way from their last show in Phoenix, and they broke down. They had to hitchhike in order to get there. And yeah, I mean, bus stories are inevitable for bands. Every band that tours has a bus breaking down story. Oh, especially in Texas in the summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You overheat, and yeah, it's going to be tough. And 
I, I just want to mention right now, uh, if you ever heard, there's a band called Cliff Diver. And very recently, they had a really, really horrible incident with their bus. And one that they didn't even know if the driver of the bus was going to survive. And it's just a really scary story. If you go out and search for it, it's worth the read. It's it's really, uh, you know, you're just thankful that everybody came out of that okay. Yeah, really, really scary stuff. I, I thought I would just mention it here because it's relevant and kind of part of what we're talking about. So, small town, black, you know... Going off of sort of that, the crowd didn't have the full boom effect on this. I, I, I didn't think that the crowd was that apparent on Small Town, and Ed sort of gave them the room to go off and sing the hearts and thoughts they fade, but they didn't seem interested in it. Yeah, I don't know if that's just a function of the songs that preceded it. Like, Ark is obviously not a big sing along, everyone's going to just kind of be watching and thinking and kind of like feeling things can't keep again not one where you know you're going to be screaming at the top of your lungs and i just wonder if they just weren't ready for it weren't prepared for it maybe it seemed like they were a lot more cognizant during black though i thought that they were pretty good during black yeah like you're able to finally yeah yeah you're able to hear like the do-do-do-do's and the why and everything like that so black following that like you can't overlook this at all because these versions it's the Gretsch versions the classic timeless ones that you like to say from this era Mm. they're always very very heartfelt digging into a lot of the emotion from the song the sorrow and the pain that the song lends itself to and it's always going to be Ed it's always going to be Mike when Mike is able to get the moment to soar like you get all that feeling when you hear him take off like he just puts everything on the line his entire soul on it these versions of black are really kind of special and we do get a really nice improv here that ended the song on a pretty beautiful note you know come on here and you know we we talk about these versions of songs every week and all these shows and you know you try to be objective and you listen to things and you're trying to be critical and you're trying to dig in what's different about this show and what are going to be my talking points here but Anytime I hear a black improv, I'm just reduced to fangirling over it. Basically, I realize that I'm just a sucker for black improvs. Like, even though it's like just a couple of lines, I think it's fantastic. And it probably will show up on my top three moments of the show here in a little bit. And yeah, I absolutely love it. I love 2003 Black, the versions with Stone's guitar sound. And this is very, very good. And yeah, anytime there's a black improv, you know, sign me up. I'm in. You're going to go from black into rear of a mirror, and that's like 
hot streak with both these songs right here like that's gonna fire the crowd up it's gonna really end your set on a very very high note you're only getting two more songs after this we're on a really good rear view mirror hot streak and this bridge kind of started off it was sort of built its way up it felt a little even keel and then when mike started creating kind of those noises that experimental sound that came through and started using the ebo stuff like then it just went over the top and stone adds his little variations his vibrant sounds to this like mike again those high pitch wails the piercing sound that comes out of his guitar at the show sounded just phenomenal on this yeah see i have think sonic youth written down yeah that's um, very fair yeah sounded a lot like when they kind of go off into those kind of atonal jams and you know ventures out into the weirder aspect of rearview mirror yeah this is really good Encore 2, Ed says, if you want it, we got it. We'll keep going. A look out. We see all these interesting faces, cool people. Appreciate you all coming out. But we don't know if you know this next one. We're going to play it better than we've ever played it before. Crazy Mary does get a good response, and you do hear that crowd singing a little bit for it. So how about that? It's It's about time. It was a long time coming. Crazy Mary feels like, you know, I mean, 2003, you're still very new in the boom era. Mentioned it when they were going around the introductions. He didn't quite get the response that he does now, but play it better than we're ever going to play it. I think they realized at the time, like, this song was just getting better and better, and they were just kind of tapping into what Boom and Mike together can do on it and really building it up to something very, very cool. We talked about it again on the Evolution episode. 2003 building up to a lot of really good versions what i love here about boom and and you know javier comes on this show and he talks a lot about the effects and the the pedals and stuff i'm not a guitar player i don't know a lot of it and i'm trying to piece it together from memory but one thing that i do remember from all of the things that we've heard and learned from javier is that the rotosphere that mike used a lot during his era and hasn't used since 2010 according to Javier that sound that kind of feels like it's this underwater effect that kind of takes over and it's very interesting and it kind of goes with something like this where you have room to let those notes kind of ring out a little bit and it's not Mike that has the rotosphere it's actually Boom that has that same exact sound and directly from Javier, because I would never have thought about this or known about this in any situation, even if I went and did research, I probably wouldn't have figured it out. It's 
a Leslie Speaker rotary unit that's hooked up to Boom's Hammond V3 that makes that sound. That's just very cool. That's just yeah. a, that's a cool note, and Boom has experimented a lot with different sort of variations and styles of sound. He's done like more of a ballpark organ at times. He's done a very high pitched kind of church organ. And I, I like to see him change it up like that. That's very cool. We haven't really done like a, a full like boom breakdown yet, but I, I can see it coming in the future. the jam felt dynamic and just went on for what felt like an eternity and and may have been right this might have been the best version that they played up until that point but who knows who listened to all these versions before and did a full breakdown on it I, who, who, who's done that before who can officially tell you whether or not that lunatics. is lunatics yeah well we'll never meet them because they're a bunch of squares so let's get back into the set this is going to be the payoff for the WMD, and it's going to be phenomenal. He's asking anyone who sees their envelope, we're looking for two people to come out here and destroy Dallas with us this evening. Please tell me that it wasn't there. Please tell me that WMDs weren't there somewhere. That would be upsetting. Keep looking. And that's the joke. There are no weapons of mass destruction. Come on, people, figure this out. Like, you obviously, Ugh. you can't go anywhere <laughs> in the news and not hear WMD, Weapon of Mass Destruction, in the year 2003. Yep. It's not possible. I mean, again, I'm going to give Ed so much credit for this because, again, you knew this is coming. As soon as he set it up with the calling of the WMDs, you knew there was going to be something to pay off. But the way he closes this and again, plan it up to like, Oh yeah, we're looking for people to come party with us. And like, yeah, oh, yeah there's, there's still, still someone in Dallas to this day. That's like, man, if I had found that envelope, I could have gone out with them and nothing. But like the way he brings it home is just like he nowadays, if he did it, it would be the dad joke era. There would be a more of a punchline to it, but he just plays it. Oh, Oh, that would be terrible if nobody found it. Yeah, definitely keep looking. Oh, it's 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 perfect, and I give him all the credit in the world for the way he handled it. It was masterclass. 
Do you think he was just trying to like trick the Republicans out in the crowd and kind of tease yeah. them a little bit? Yeah. You think it was just a direct like, hey, that's, that's ah, part of fuck it. you guys a little bit? Part of it, yeah. Without saying like, mm-hmm. you know, bringing a bush mask out and pouring yep. wine down its throat and stuff. Yep, it's a little more backhanded way to do it, but you end up with the same result in his mind. Yeah, I dig it. I like it. Glad it happened. Glad we talked about it. Rockin' in the Free World is going to finish off your set. With a live off the table, you pretty much had to go to one of the two big covers to rely on here to get you through. And it's only like a two-hour show, and I wonder if they had a time limit and not throw in a Ledbetter and Difference at the end. This is just rockin' that's going to finish you off here. This is a very sharp version. Real solid way to close out this show. Just got a fun energy to it, and Ed does something really cool he's like pointing out to the back he's saying keep on rocking in the back keep on rocking on the right and it's just a cool little added bonus that's kind of memorable at the end of the show it felt like he was playing video games like up down left right b a start like the back left right center like in contra blue yeah a little bit i can see that yeah yeah that is a fun way to end the night and that is our show now let's pick three moments that we liked my number three is going to be daughter my number two is going to be black no surprise and i'm going to go a little bit on left field my number one is going to be the wmd joke i was just really impressed by that that's pretty and, yeah yeah i thought about that i thought about that the whole uh, setup from the beginning the middle of the end it was glorious yeah, I'm going to say my number three is actually going to be Jeremy for this because I was just kind of enamored with the pacing of it. You just don't really get to hear attached to the song very often or, or ever. So I'm going to say Jeremy number three. I'm going to go with probably Crazy Mary for number two because I thought that that was just, it felt like it could have gone on forever. Like it really got invested into that jam. You just kind of bob your head and you're like, whoa, like these guys can really go off and they have an amazing chemistry with each other. So I'm going to give them the nod to Crazy Mary. And my number one is going to be half full because I thought that Mike tore to shreds. Really, really good version of it. All right, now let's pick a rating for the show. That'll kind of define what we all just talked about and listened to. Yeah, this was tough because like it does have some good performances, but there's also some stuff when you look back on it that like eh, doesn't really work. When my number one moment is not even a song, that maybe tells you something. I'm going to give this one a seven. All right. I think what saves this show is the performances and especially the performances at the top. I, I love the top six. I think it's very weird that neither of us had a live in our top three, because again, that's kind of saying to what I was saying before, it's just a footnote of this show and not like something big, grand and spectacular. I think a lot of the people that went to the show probably remember this and have a, a very fond memory of it. But listening to this back on bootleg, you can't, you know, if you put this track and replaced it with another alive on another set list where that was closing the encore. I don't know how different it would be. And maybe it would feel a little bit worse there because we, they don't go off into more of a bigger solo or anything like that. But 
I liked a lot of the performances that I like. Like, I think that they were on for this show. I think that they were really tight in a lot of these performances. I absolutely did not like the structure of how the main set ended. I think it threw everything for a loop. But I, the WMD thing, what was in Daughter, very, very fun. I think I'll actually give this an 8. Might not be a show that I go back to very often, but I was really impressed by how tight they were and how good they sounded. So, yeah, that's an eight for me. All right. Back to 2003 next week. Hi, Dad. Wonder if you can see me now, because we are going to be doing a very special show and a very special moment. Bonner Springs from 2003. This is one that I think... A lot of people were probably waiting for. I think this is one that we needed to find the right time for. Doing it in the 20th anniversary does feel like the right time for it because it is one of the most unique moments and spontaneous moments that's ever happened in Pearl Jam's live history. And it's going to be a lot of fun being able to talk about that and get into other things. Right. Yeah, what else do you think I thought it would be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. get right. Yeah. yeah. It's it's obviously get right. Now, Bonner Springs, 2003, it'll be a really neat show to do. And to be honest with you, John, aside from the moment, I don't know if I know much else about this show. Because that moment just holds so much weight and importance within what this show is. We're going to talk about another interestingly placed even flow in the live. And yeah, we will get to talk about Get Right finally. Finally, it does feel like a long time coming. Yeah. So, well, I'm really excited to get to that. I'm really excited to see how that show developed after that big moment of release. So, all right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hopefully, you'll tune into that next week, too. And if you like what you heard here, hopefully, you guys can go over to your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple. Those are the two main ones that usually come up. Hopefully, you're subscribed to that. And if you're subscribed, then you can see all of the notifications when we do put out new episodes. Mostly, it's on Wednesday. But hey, you never know when a surprise can pop up here and there. We did the Iron Horse Bluegrass cover band episode not too long ago. That came out on a Monday, so you just never know sometimes. But if you like it, too, then share. Share with people. Tell them how much you appreciate the show. And that is through commenting on Apple Podcasts, giving a five-star rating. Hopefully, we've deserved that. You can also do that on Spotify as well. But on Apple Podcasts, just leave a comment and let the people who are looking for a Pearl Jam podcast know what we do and what we're about. Because we can talk until you're deaf in the ear about what we do. And we love talking about it, of course. But... I think it's, it all comes from you guys that passes along the information. And then if you guys like it, then maybe the next batch of people will like it and maybe they'll pass it on to friends and, and people and go on from there. So it's really important to just pass the word and spread the word. And, you know, all we can ask for is that we reunite you guys with some past favorite memories. And we also turn you on to some brand new stuff that you maybe never listened to before. All right. Let's close this one on out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. Well, I'll see you guys in Fort Worth. And maybe they'll play Jeremy not once, but twice. 
and maybe they will play Brana J. Well, maybe they'll just cross that off the set list. But we'll find out in September. Until then, thanks for listening. Maybe you'll find one of those envelopes under the chairs. And uh, speaking of contests, we actually we have one tonight. There's a... Underneath someone's seat. Sorry, we couldn't get one in the back. But uh, up here in the more expensive seat. There's, a, there's an envelope under one of your chairs. It's going to look just like this. And it says WMD. Do you know what that means? And uh, after the show, if you look inside this envelope, there's going to be two... Uh, passes to come at Encore you can come back and see us and we're calling it the WMD contest because tonight after the show we're going to tear Dallas up we're going to go out raging and we want to invite two of you to go with us so uh, good luck did anybody get it yet? Come around to the sides. Again, anyone who sees their envelope, we're looking for two people to come out and destroy Dallas with us this evening. Please don't tell me it wasn't there. Don't tell me the WMDs weren't there somewhere. That would be upsetting. 